Hey friends, welcome to the Advocate Like a Mother podcast. I'm Michelle. I'm Ashley. We are here to educate, empower, and inspire you to be the best advocate for your child. Today we're discussing part two of IEPs. If you haven't already listened to part one, I suggest you go back and listen to that first. Uh, But hang tight, we're going to get started. Today's guest, Sandy, is the director of CAN, which stands for Collaborate, Abdicate, Navigate. CAN is a nonprofit that provides education and support to individuals with disabilities, their families, and those that serve them. She is an incredible child advocate and parent mentor. We are going to hear from her right after a word from our sponsor. When she's not hosting Advocate Like a Mother podcast, Michelle Sullivan also owns Littlest Warrior Apparel. Littlest Warrior was inspired by her son, Eli. Eli has had several procedures, including open heart surgery during his first year of life. Eli also happens to have Down syndrome. After his heart surgery, she was looking to connect with other moms who have kids with special needs, and she thought t-shirts would be a fun way to interact. She started designing tees, and Littlest Warrior was born and quickly grew. She loves that her tees are conversation starters, and that's a great way to spread awareness. Shop now and use your voice with Littlest Warrior Apparel at littlestwarrior.com. Don't forget to grab your Advocate Like a Mother tea and use the promo code ADVOCATE at checkout for a 10% discount today. Thanks for shopping. Hi, Sandy. Thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about CAN? I would love to. Um, CAN came around after a few years of me just being a special education advocate, a parent mentor. So I've been doing Parents CAN as a fee-for-service support for families uh, as an advocate and, again, parent mentor for about 20 years now. And I, as part of that, part of my ministry has always been doing workshops for free for families so that they would be educated and they could be empowered and they would learn. super thankful for them. (laughs) So I've been doing those as well for for many, many, many years. And through that journey, I realized that a big part of it was that we also needed to reach out to our educators. So I started We Can, which is a program under the CAN umbrella that addresses educators because educators are not getting the ideologies of many of the different kinds of inclusive practices that are out there, other ways of educating. Uh, They might not understand differentiation of, of curriculum. They might not understand universal design of learning and, uh, behavioral strategies, all, all just a gamut of different things. So I started We Can as a speaker series to work uh, with educators. I just recently received a grant thanks to the State Council on Developmental Disabilities. And part of that grant is supporting me to develop a website, which is going to be a big tool for the educators. And in that website, we'll not only have resources and information on topics that would be helpful to them, but we're going to actually have samples of differentiated curriculum and PDFs of accommodated work and modern 
modifications so that they can, they can see what it looks like and they can understand that it, it can be done. And there are different ways to approach not only accessing information, but giving our students an opportunity to express it in a way that works for them. So I'm very excited about that. And then the third program that I'm starting with this grant also is ICANN. And that's going to be the self-advocate component. And a self-advocate will be the coordinator of that project. And the whole loosey-goosey mission of it is that if any adult has an issue accessing anything, if they have a barrier that they face, they can come to ICANN and we'll help them identify what that barrier is and how we might be able to navigate around it so that they can live a full life full of all kinds of opportunities. That's so incredible that you're giving the educators these resources because I feel like this is something that's very important and that's much needed in their um, community. And it also really works on that whole concept we talked about in the last session of that collaboration and the relationships. And it it shouldn't be an us versus them. It should be us all working together. So it gives us a chance to help them. I love that. That's so great. So last time we talked about goals and assessments. Um, So what besides, you know, reviewing the proposed goals and assessments before the meeting, what can parents do to be prepared before the actual IEP meeting? Well, that's pretty much just, you know, having your talking points, knowing again, clearly what it is that you see for your vision for your child. And then again, if you've looked at the goals and you identify that you're not on the same page, you need to be prepared to be able to discuss that. So again, if you have a difference of opinion of what their present levels are, that you want to make sure they're clear on that. The other thing we didn't talk about on the goals is you want to make sure that the way that they're written don't doesn't define a particular placement. So you want to make sure, like an example would be if a high school student's goal is that they're going to be learning to make purchases while on their CBI, community-based intervention activities, well, that's going to necessitate that child participates off-campus in CBI activities. So you always want to kind of look at those things as well. So you want to come prepared uh, with your talking points. Um, I'm a firm believer, again, in the relationship, so I ask that my families bring some kind of refreshment for the teachers who might not be getting lunch that day so bringing some water bottles and some snacks of some kind is always nice it's again what we would do with anybody that comes into our home you did it today <laughs> so right it's the same thing yeah one thing um i actually included that in that blog post that i wrote about eli's first iep and a couple of people commented that their district doesn't allow that so maybe just make sure you know to check wow. with the district before if my 20 years i've never had that really? happen they've always <laughs> allowed food and, and munchies and water bottles to be brought in and they're usually very very thankful oh yeah the other thing that i do um in the old days we used to bring a binder with the picture of our child and put it in the center of the table and or we'd bring our law book so everybody knew we were serious and we knew (laughs) and you know um again that's not much of a relationship builder so i suggest that families now that we've got such great opportunities with you know publishing pictures you could take a a piece of paper and cut 10 pictures out of a piece of paper and so you've got a ton of photos that you could bring and put them on the center of the table because in an IEP if it's especially if it's two hours long I can guarantee you not everybody's going to be focused on what everybody's talking about at the same time for right. the whole two hours and that gives them an additional place to focus and that focuses on your child, child so doing those kinds of things is helpful that's great yeah what do you think is one of the best approaches during the IEP meeting if the school or district and you are not seeing eye to eye? Um, that happens quite a bit. I know. And, you know, it's important, again, for 
as a as a parent, you're going to be emotional. Yes. But you need to keep your emotions in check. Right. So if somebody says something incredibly stupid, like one person did in my daughter's IEP, I think it was second or third grade, and I wanted them to write reading and writing goals, which people didn't do back then for mm-hmm. people with Down syndrome. Um, they, the one person on the team, the head person says, don't you know, she doesn't have a learning disability. And I could have gotten very angry and reacted, but instead I said, well, that's an interesting perspective. (laughs) (laughs) Just kind of stepped away from it and then got my tools. I knew, you know, she was pre-writing and doing all that. So I went back and brought my tools back and they were like, wow, we didn't know. So they were able to address it because I was able to be proactive and not reactive. That's a great um, so way to look at it. Because yeah, I feel like most of us, um, when we go into the IEP meetings, we're more on the reactive side because I feel like sometimes we're so much on the defense because they're not budging or they're not, you know, maybe um, giving into the things that we potentially want for our kids. And sometimes you kind of have to be a little bit sympathetic towards them too. And we all have to reach that agreement at the end of the day. And it's hard when you're coming in with a certain attitude because we all kind of have to agree. So sometimes they might get... Oh, they would. Yeah. If you're coming at them, they're going to be defensive. Yes. And and they're not going to want to work together. And that's where I feel like the breaks start happening in the house foundation. And then it just does not snowball into a good learning um, environment for your child. Because you don't want to feel that way towards the school. You don't want to feel like I can't be a part of this or I don't want to come and be, you know, included in the classroom. Uh, You want to feel as much of a part of it as your child. Well, and you always have to remember that an IEP is not set in stone. Right. And you don't have to finish the meeting in one, one setting no. by, by any means. And so if you have disagreements or if you're feeling emotionally charged and ineffective, you stop the meeting. You right. say, well, we're going to need to reschedule because I can't do this anymore because you are an equal member of that team and, and you do need to be able to be effective. So there's, you know, just again, not taking it personally, which is difficult because right. this, this is our kids. They mean everything to yes. us. Right. But stepping away again, and if somebody's not budging and, and, you know, you step back, see if you can bring other tools to the IEP table. But the other thing to remember is that's not the, the finality. You can go to a resolution meeting with your district, take it outside of the IEP. And then, of course, we've always got our procedural safeguards of mediation and or fair hearing. So it's it's if it doesn't happen at the IEP team table, there's other approaches that you can take to readdress it at, at a different level or in a different way. How many times have you um, suggested to parents that they hire a lawyer? Um, to be honest, very, very, very That's rarely. Um, That's good. I think that there's a time and a place for special ed lawyers. But again, as soon as you get that lawyer, you're, you've broken your relationship. Mm. So, I mean, I do go through mediation. I don't go to hearing with my families. And I've probably, in my practice, only had to, re- to refer maybe a handful because we've usually been able to resolve things either through resolution meetings or mediations. But that, that doesn't mean that there's not a need for them because right. a lot of times we can't get past that. Um, right. I um, read this blog post a few weeks ago about a mom. I think she said it took gosh, I'm forgetting the number, but maybe 13 meetings before they could come to an agreement, which wow. I thought was so crazy. That sounds like a lot of yeah. meetings. What's the longest you've ever heard of or experienced? Gosh, I don't know. I've never... I've, I have people that don't sign IEPs and refuse to sign and, right. and, you know, they roll over, which is not something you really want to have happen. You want to have a resolution, whether, again, it's through an agreement or, or following through. 
13 is a lot of meetings. Um, Usually if, you know, if if it's a triannual, you can guarantee it's probably going to be at least a couple, two or three. If you've got differences of opinion of placement or something, that's a really important issue. You're going to have it in multiple meetings as well. I think probably maybe five would be the highest level I've probably done before we were able to take it to a different level and either do an IDR, ADR, mediation or realize that we weren't going to resolve at the team table. Right. One of the things you mentioned in your workshop is um, you suggest that parents bring someone with them to take notes, which I thought was such a great idea because, yeah, it's just such an emotional meeting and you're just... The last thing I'm thinking of is taking notes. Right. 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 So I thought that was a great idea. Do you have any other suggestions for the meeting? If you do want to, you can record a meeting. We all know that. And you're supposed to give them 24 hours notice at least. Okay. And they will have their recorder going too. And so for me, unless you've got a real reason to record, it's not probably your best tool. I don't know if you've ever transcribed a recording, but that's not easy. It's (laughs) time consuming, but it also sets a different tone in the meeting. Right. So if I know I don't like to be recorded myself typically because I'm worried about you know it's being memorialized out there (laughs) so everybody at the table is going to be very guarded so again that relationship piece breaks down but if you bring somebody and their sole job is just to note take they're going to hopefully record uh, uh, more of the meeting more of the dialogue that occurs than you're going to get from the district notes so I ask that the the person you know type them up and then I usually have I'm usually the one who does it when I attend meetings and then we submit parent notes as well to be included and I can guarantee you for the most part they're going to be a lot more lengthy and in full and robust with the dialogue and then what the others notes were right and another thing you mentioned too that was really helpful is you know you told me to be aware of you know when they're using abbreviations to wait stop what does that mean you know, and ask them to slow down. And that was helpful because then I, I felt like I had a voice in there and they really did, you know, listen when I was like, wait, what is, stop. <laughs> they really did take the time to, you know, oh yeah. Explain this it parent in parent terms. doesn't know that. <laughs> not in district terms. Yeah, exactly. Yes, because sometimes it's a little confusing and a little intimidating as a parent because I'm like, I'm not too sure what that means. Can you explain it a little bit better so we all know? Because I don't have the education that you do. (laughs) And I think parents are reluctant to do that, um, especially if there's a culture involved, because they, you know, these are the experts. So I shouldn't even question the expert, but it's really important that the parent feels empowered and that they understand the terminology and they understand everything. Yeah. With a fine tooth comb. Yeah. It is, you know, you're a meeting. So make sure that you do feel it's, it's hard because the law says that parents are supposed to be equal members of the team. Right. Right. But I, I go to hundreds and hundreds of IEPs mm-hmm. every year and most teachers are going to go to, you know, numerous, numerous ones and they do it as part of their job. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be more familiar and, you know, it's, it's important to, to bring it back down so that the parent understands and, and the acronyms and the process itself right. because they, they need to be an equal member of the team. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And you can't be an equal member if you don't understand because yeah, you you're just winging it like, okay, sure. That sounds great. I don't even know what that means, but I'm sure. <laughs> and they say it with a smile. So yes. it must be good. It's kind of convincing. <laughs> so speaking of understanding, uh, tell us about the grant you recently received to have an interpreter. Oh uh, yeah, that's very exciting. Um, as I indicated, I've been doing the parents can workshops for years and years and I did work when I was at the Down Syndrome Association as a, a with the Spanish-speaking families on a program through that, 
And I don't speak a lick of Spanish, so it was always been a goal of mine to have my workshops available to individuals who speak Spanish. And I got a grant to do all of my workshops this year, and they're all interpreted in Spanish. And that that is so incredible because that gives so much power to so many more families that need these community resources that don't necessarily have them. Well, just giving them some empowerment, too, because they they might, again, be a culture that doesn't question. Right. And it lets them understand what their rights are and gives them an equal grounding there, too. Hopefully. I love this. We've had our first couple, so it's gone well. Oh, good. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that you have an interpreter because it just means that everybody is equal and everybody yes. does have a voice and we all matter. Yep. So let's talk about um, Division of Services. What role does Regional Center play? Okay. Um, well, it- I kind of look at it as a fork. There's really three different entities that are going to be providing support for youngsters once they get over the age of three. So up until three, uh, regional centers contracted in California. We're the only state that has regional center systems, but they're uh, contracted to provide the early start services. Early start still is a provision of IDEA. It's called Part C of IDEA. Which stands for? Um, Individual Disabilities <laughs> Education Act, you caught me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it regional center from birth to three is the primary for providing, again, early start support and services through contracts. Okay. And then once a child turns three until they graduate or until they're 22 and they age out of the transition program, they really don't take very much of an active role. They're there to be able to provide services that are necessary and can't be provided any other way. So they're the payer of last resort. Yes. So that's how that's kind of defined. But there's not a whole lot because they don't serve the child. They don't provide educational supports. And recently, even the third prong would be the medical. And mm-hmm. medical has picked up um, behavior, which used to be a big part of what Regional Center did. But Regional Center is, um, the reason we have them is we're the only state that has the Lanterman Act. And the Lanterman Act is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful legislation that provides for funding and support for individuals with significant disabilities. And it provides for whatever they need to be able to be a full member of living and breathing and eating and being a part of their community. So once a student ages out, for instance, my daughter, who is 25, she has a lot of regional center support. She has a lot of funding so that she's able to have a job. She works as an intern at, in a state agency. She also uh, goes to Orange Coast College. She's been there. This is her sixth year. And they, they pick her up and take her to college. And she navigates around and attends academic and dance classes there and loves it. So there's a job coach that goes with her there. And she probably doesn't necessarily need that person to attend the class and get the material, but for her, it's safety. Mm-hmm. Um, I found that there's been a lot of issues on campuses, and she was would not know, has not known, and would not know how to handle any kind of an emergency situation mm-hmm. on her own. So it's more from that perspective that she's provided that support. And then she gets the transportation now, which has made my life much easier. Yes. And uh, Is this all provided by Regional this Center? This is all funded. That is incredible. Yeah. I, I look forward to Letterman as my kids grow older because yeah. that's incredible support, especially for you as the mother and you don't have to worry about these certain things. Right. So what? So if you're not in California... Are there similar things provided? They are, but they're through a state system. Okay. And I wouldn't even want to try to, to address <laughs> that. I don't know the different systems in different okay. states well enough to. Okay. But again, uh, they would be through probably your Department of Rehabs and through other state entities that you would get that support. 
Okay, so Sandy, uh, last time you explained to us your house metaphor, and so we talked about uh, the foundation as the assessments and the walls as the goals. So let's take a moment and talk about uh, the roof, which is the services. Okay, well, basically, you know, again, the services are going to be driven by the goals in terms of what areas the child has unique needs. So there's always going to be, for the most part, academicals for a child with Down syndrome, and we're going to have to have those. And then probably some speech goals and some maybe fine motor goals, possibly some gross motor goals. So the services are going to be based on the number of goals and the amount of therapy that's going to be required for that child to be successful in those areas. So they will require a specialized academic instruction, which is not a, a place, it's a service. Okay. <laughs> we need to remember that because <laughs> it can be provided in a number of different ways. And then, uh, you know, again, you're going to have your speech therapy, which also could be push in or pull out depending upon what the need is. So let's take a moment and explain that to the listeners. Right. might not so, understand. Yeah, so, so a speech goal, say if you had a, a, a goal for a child to interact with their peers, being in a clinic one-on-one um, -on -one with a speech therapist is probably not going right. to give them the opportunity <laughs> to be talking to their peers. And that would be pull-out. So that would correct? be a pull-out yeah. being one-on-one -on -one or in a small group with a, a therapist. And so there are times to do that. If you're working on articulation and, and other people aren't, it might be a really great place. Or when a person's getting their tool, making their honing their tool, it gives them a chance to develop that tool. So that interaction goal might be addressed at first in a clinic environment, you know, in a small group perhaps. And then once they have that tool, then they need to practice how to use it in the more natural environment. Mm. And that would be then where the therapist would push in into the classroom or during recess, which would be unstructured time and help that student start interacting with their peers. So that the services, again, you can have them pull in and it to a, a again a clinic environment where they're separate from the classroom push in where they bringing it into a naturalized environment whether it's classroom or unstructured time and then you're also going to be looking at one-on-one -on -one, which is appropriate for again some but again maybe not others so again back to that language goal having a student one-on-one -on -one with an adult to learn how to talk to their peers is not going to be helpful but having a small group and developing language with their peers would be so you really have to look at again what that particular goal is addressing and then they'll define it by not only the type but also the amount of minutes that they're going to apply to be able to to meet those needs of that child so a child that say has apraxia which is a challenge of being able to develop sounds the way that other students do they're going to need multiple opportunities to do it throughout the week so you would have multiple sessions and less time so they would they're trying to develop their motor memory and things of that nature so that would require more right. so again that's all defined on again the, the needs and the, the number of goals and what you're trying to address so for us um for eli's first iep i kind of went into it knowing okay these are the professionals i'm going to trust what they recommend instead of saying, well, I want, you know, an additional 20 minutes a week or uh, whatever. And I just kind of went into it with a mind frame of, I'm going to trust them. And then if something's not working, like if he starts falling behind in speech or, you know, something red flags happen, then I'll say something. Is that kind of, an, is that, was that good? <laughs> <laughs> was that, you know, smart or should, you know, parents ask for more? Well, more is not always better. Okay. And again, some parents think having one-on-one -on -one is going to be the best. And one-on-one right. -on -one isn't always better. Yeah. It really depends on what, again, the needs are of that child. 
I do like the idea that you trusted your your professionals because again, that's how you're going to develop your relationship. Right. But I also would probably develop relationships with outside providers that you can just run it by them. So you know, is this goal written well? Is this really what my child needs? Mm -hmm. um, and and run it by them to get their opinion. The one thing just to remember though that uh, if a clinic person, you know, somebody that's a private person might have a more robust way of serving than what you're going to get in the district. It's, so there might be differences of opinion there, yes, but there it's, it's good to, to get that, that feedback. Um, when you, your red flags, if, if the child's not moving forward, if they're not meeting their benchmarks and right. you should have benchmarks as often as a child would receive report cards. Mm -hmm. So those benchmarks are very important to monitor. Okay. And if they're not meeting their benchmarks, then you have to look at why was the goal not written? Well, are they not serving? Well, what is the reason for it? And an example, my daughter, one year when she took off reading and writing, um, her math benchmarks weren't getting met. And to be honest, I didn't care. She was reading and writing. <laughs> yeah. But once they weren't met a few times, then I had to recognize that we did have to continue to focus on for her global support to be able to continue to work on those areas as well. But you, you know, and that was because we weren't focused on it. So I, we identified the problem and rectified it. So looking at the benchmarks, you want to make sure are they being served appropriately? And if, if they're not meeting them, then it might be the duration or it might be the strategies being used. Or again, it could just be that goal is a rotten goal. Okay. <laughs> and so typically an IEP meeting is once a year. So when do you know as a parent to say, hey, we need to, would that be an emergency IEP that you would call for something like that? Well, or There's no such thing as an emergency okay. <laughs> IEP. And, and, you know, there are times that uh, the when you request an IEP, they have to respond and meet within 30 days. Okay. okay. And so an emergency situation might occur and the time, you know, the, the team realizes that there's, you know, some major behavior, there's something that has to be addressed. They might expedite that timeline, okay. but you can't say, I need this addressed immediately. <laughs> right. <laughs> emergency. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you can, a parent can ask for an IEP and they have to respond within 30 days. Okay. Um, if you have concerns of any kind, some parents like to meet a couple of times of years just to make sure that everybody's, mm -hmm. you know, on track. Right. You also can have team meetings, which are not official IEPs, but you okay. can meet with core people just if you have like a student in an inclusive environment you want to probably have the special education teacher the general education teacher and yourself meeting more regularly so you're looking at what's coming up what okay. do we need to plan for how are things going do we need to tweak this or that so there's variant ways that you can go ahead and communicate but if you're you have a concern about a goal and you get a progress report and they're not making any of them yeah you need to probably meet and address right. that Okay. So what's the difference between IEPs in public and private schools? Okay. Well, that's, there's different kinds of placements. So let's look okay. at that real quickly, that what kind of placements are available. And again, I mentioned earlier that special education is not a placement, it's a service. Right. So the IEP team, again, first needs to determine what's the appropriate neighborhood. Okay. So it could be that a goal is, is not going to require any pullout, that mm -hmm. a student is going to be able to, to be addressed within the general education classroom activities and curriculum. If they do need pullout, that might be, they used to call it resource uh, support. Now some schools are going to specialized academic instruction clinics. So maybe they just go there to work on a skill or a goal a couple times a week or a certain amount of minutes per day. 
Then there's actual specified classrooms that would be, in the old days, we might call them mild to moderate or moderate to severe. And so they have autism programs, different kinds of classrooms that address specific needs. So all those are within the public school system. Okay. And they should have a continuum of services. It would also include, in fact, uh, county programs and residential placements and things like that. So say you're a family that um, wants to homeschool. Right. So that's another kind of an opportunity that families, you know, avail themselves on. There are charter schools out there that do homeschool programs and honor IEPs. Oh, that's okay. Great. So I they there's a lot of those that are available now and they would still serve the student with speech therapy and all the other services that were on the IEP previously. So, so I'm assuming you would just go through that same process with the same team, but you would just go to the charter school versus going to a different neighborhood. You would, unquote, you would have an IEP and there would be a, uh, you would have meetings and you would review the goals. Um, if you had a charter that was owning, uh, honoring the IEP. Okay. Um, there's some, homeschool programs that don't have IEPs and don't do that, but many, many do. I think the majority of them do at this point. There's also charter schools that are still public, okay, but they're charter schools in that they run a little different. So you have a charter school within, well, for instance, here in Orange, we mm-hmm. have now the TLC charter school, which is a fully inclusive school. So all the, you know, if the kid has any IEP and they're a participant at that charter school, they are still in the Orange Unified School District, but they have chosen to have their IEP and special education services supported by an outside SELPA, which is a special education local plan area. So they're using a different organization or a SELPA to provide the provisions of the IEP. But they still have an IEP. They okay. still monitor the goals and they still provide the services and do that. So that would be a charter school. Okay. Then there's also some families that choose to parentally place their child. So they might... Pre- uh, choose to put them in a, a, a religious school right. or some other school that, that meets their child's needs in another different fashion. So the law, I believe it was in 97, changed that the districts are not required to support parentally placed children. Okay. So if you did make that decision unilaterally and you choose to put them in that private school, that's your right. Right. Um, in those schools, it's going to be different um, from every administration or how they administer those and what I'm finding is that most don't have IEP processes they might not be familiar with uh, educating kids with special needs so it would be helpful for them to create their own process that monitors the educational growth of that child so that there's a continual record of what that child's where they're again go back to the the house what is their current level how you know what goals do we have for them this year? How do we have to make sure with services or whatever, they're going to meet those goals. And then you can measure year to year growth. And that would be really important if you were going to be coming back into your district, you want to have some kind of documentation that shows that. That was my next question. How could you provide all of that documentation to the district? um, If you wanted to you know, um, go from private to public school. And that happens a lot, especially as kids get older and to the intermediate or high school level, you're going to want to give them that social opportunity to, to experience. So the first, you know, having those records year to year that you're going to show the, the monitoring, the growth. But part of the, the process would be going to the district, letting them know you'd like to come back in. They're going to assess them. Okay. You know, so they're right. going to do their assessments because they have to have their own data. But making sure that that assessment includes observations in the current 
academic program that the child's in right and also input from those teachers in terms of what strategies do you employ what supports have been provided but then you also will have that documentation again similar to an IEP whatever that looks like for that team that would show how they've grown and and how they've measured that Good to know. That makes sense. I didn't, I honestly had no idea that there was no IEPs in private school. So I'm (laughs) learning something new today because I've only been with public school. So I don't know anything about private, but that's awesome to know that you still have the option to go back if you wanted to, or you can Mm -hmm. transfer parently placed. Although I feel like it makes me a little bit hesitant to do the parent place because I love the IEP. Not that I love it, but it's just something that helps us all work together. Yeah. And some private schools might have an IEP. Most most private schools, you're either going to have a religious-based private school, right, or you're going to have one that's high achieving. So you see a lot of, you know, the the and and that would not be appropriate for a child with a cognitive disability, of course, <laughs> of because course. they wouldn't be able. They have a different belief system, and right. you know, weight and measure, right. Wow, Sandy, you've given us so much information. Um, I know you have so much more to give. Um, you know, if, if if you're in the Southern California area, I highly recommend going to one of Sandy's uh, free workshops. Um, but Sandy, if you could sum up your best advice to parents in one or two sentences, what would it be? <laughs> <laughs> one or two sentences. Uh, um, I guess, again, just to make sure that you are empowered. So I, I talk a lot about when I first get a parent, I put on the word fear, and most of us are in fear. We're in fear mm-hmm. that our child isn't getting what they need, and we're afraid they're they're going to keep our child from getting what they need. They're not going to give us what you know the services, or they're not going to give them the placement we want. So we get in that fear and get really defensive. But if we learn about the process and become proactive versus reactive, we try to educate ourselves as much as possible. And then build your support team around that. You know, there's nothing wrong with having an advocate as long as that advocate is is got the same belief system and relationship building that you you want to see happen on your team. And you know, find those extra outside people that can check and balance. And then you, hopefully you'll become empowered and you will be an active, effective member of your child's team. That's great. Great advice. That is such a great advice. I think I'm actually going to go take a workshop. (laughs) I need it. There's so much more to learn. I just feel like we don't know everything as parents and sometimes we just wing it and then we meet other people that are advocates and been doing it for a long time and you're like, wow, I never knew that I should have thought of that. Right. So we we will be right back. We're going to take a moment to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey everyone, let's talk about the Glory Days Daily Planner. I've got my hands on the planner right now. Here are the features that jump out at me, the weekly therapy tracking pages, the daily self-care check-ins, and the meal planning. The Glory Days company partnered with 55 moms raising a person with different abilities to make sure this planner was functional for our unique and complex schedules. The best part is they're donating a portion of the profits to the Down Syndrome Diagnostic Network. Check them out today on Instagram and Facebook, the Glory Days CO, and theglorydaysco.com. Oh gosh, Sandy, thank you so much for your wealth of information. We are so, so thankful. Um, so if someone wants to get in contact with you, what's the best way? For right now, I would love for them to email me at parentscanoc at yahoo.com, P-A-R-E-N-T-S-C-A-N, oc at yahoo.com and soon that will be the website but not yet hold on for that and thank you both for having me and letting me share and be a part of this thank you so much 
Wow, that was such a great interview with Sandy. She is seriously like a wealth of knowledge. Yeah. I just want to go inside of her brain and just say, can you give me everything on a spreadsheet, please? <laughs> wow, I can't wait till her um, website comes out. That I can't wait either. Exciting. It's going to be a great reputable link, not only for educators, but for parents. And I just feel like it's something that will actually bring the community together versus spreading them further oh, apart. Yeah. And it's something that I think that they desperately need in their community. Right. And she's a great step to make it happen. For sure. One thing I was thinking too, after you know talking to Sandy, I think we should make a checklist for I, parents. Yes, and we should have a checklist for everything that you need to, to have prepared. And yes. we're also going to make up a, a mock brag sheet and we will put oh, some yeah, information in there as well. And you can just copy that and take it with you to your IEP and know that you have the resources like us to help you. That sounds awesome. Let's get it on the website. Let's get it on the website. Thanks so much for listening today. As always, go to advocatelikeamother.org and sign up for our mailing list. Follow us on social media, Advocate Like a Mother. Please subscribe to Advocate Like a Mother and review us on iTunes. Thanks again, friends. Bye, friends.